world religion, the prophesied increase in the LGBTQ agenda in the end time, the Middle East peace agreement, Ben and Jerry's is anti-Bible, and the end time red spirit of communism, all in the news today. And we will analyze these events from a prophetic perspective on this edition of End of the Age. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. There are so many Bible prophecies happening right now, the ongoing fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It was really hard for me to just choose one today. And so I thought I would just put, um, just kind of bunch them together and give you as much as I could throughout this program because it's so easy to prove that we're living in the end time. I, again, I had people tell me, ask me this question all the time. How do you know we're living in the end time? Prove it. Well, I basically am spending my life proving it over and over and over. We're very close to the second coming of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a sense of urgency in you that says, you know what? I probably ought to get my affairs in order and help other people get their affairs in order. Because it's not going to be very long that the Lord's going to split those clouds wide open and he's going to come and we're going to go to be with him for eternity. So I'm going to cover a lot of topics today. The first one is going to be the world religion. Now, some prophecies are will take place over time, like from now until the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to see the establishment and the full implementation of a world religious system. But like the third temple, that's going to be built and that's a once and done thing. But so there's a difference in prophecies. Some of them are ongoing. Some of them will happen and then, hey, that happened and we're moving on. So the world religious system is something that's an ongoing type situation. But it's going to be established just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, we're there now. So the Bible prophesies, um, these prophecies foretell the establishment of a global religious system in the end time. And according to scripture, the leader of this totally deceitful organization is going to have two goals. Number one, to unite the world's religions under one belief system of just tolerance of everything. Believe what you want. You can be part of this. And number two, he's going to use his really a, a, a pious position to influence all the adherents to align with and pledge allegiance to the prophesied end time world government and to the Antichrist. So the world religious system, interfaithism, you cannot be a part of that. That, that will be of eternal consequence before it's over with. Revelation 13 provides a snapshot of Satan's plan 
to establish his kingdom on the earth in the end time. Yes, the world religious system is one of Satan's efforts to establish his kingdom in the earth on the end time. The world religion is part of it. You say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Satan is into religion. He's into a religion if it'll send you to hell. Yes. He's not into the true church of Jesus Christ. Absolutely not. But if it's a religion that can get people to think they're saved, but they end up standing before the Lord someday and he says, well, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Satan is all into that. So Revelation 13, 1 through 8, it describes a one world government and the leader of the one world government, the Antichrist. Then you move on to Revelation 13, 11 through 15, and it describes a world religion and the leader of that entity referred to in Revelation 19, 20 as the false prophet. Jesus prophesied concerning the end time that religious leaders would deceive many with their false teachings. You remember when he said in um, Matthew 24, Jesus answered and said to them, Hey, take heed that no man deceives you, for many will come even in my name, saying, Hey, I am Christ. I'm a Christian. Pay attention to me. But they're going to be deceiving many. That's Matthew 24, 4 through 5. So listen, everybody, you need to make sure that you understand your Bible there are many people going to churches today that just uh, uh, biblical illiteracy is just rampant. I talk to people all the time that I could sway them any way I wanted them to go if I was a, 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 um, a corrupt individual because they don't know their Bible. But we've got to know what does the Bible say. That's our roadmap on how to get to heaven. We cannot veer off of the Holy Scriptures We've got to stick to them and not move off of them. But there are many messages of deception. Jesus warned us that there would be. And deception is going to be the method used by the false prophet, this false religious figure, and many false religious figure. On down in Matthew 24, he warned of um, false prophets, false religious individuals. It's going to be used, deception, to create this one world religious system. It will not be based on biblical foundational principle teaching and biblical doctrines. Because if it was, then you'd believe there was only one way to get to heaven and that's Jesus Christ. But this world religious system is saying, well, hey, we don't believe in fundamentalism. We don't believe in adhering strictly to the Bible. We're going to move that stuff off the table and we're just going to have tolerance and just tolerate whatever you want to believe. And somehow or another, we're all going to make it. That is anti-Bible, okay? I'm trying to wake you up here a little bit today because there, I have conversations with people all the time that think there are many ways to get to heaven. There is not. There's one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's it. And, you know, I, I don't know how I can, I, I don't want to sugarcoat that at all. Because that's not going to do anybody any good. And so, you know, although the world religion is mentioned in other scriptures, I just want to focus on just a particular prophecy found in Revelation 13, 11 through 15. And I'm going to go through it pretty quick because I got a lot of information to cover. Bible says, after talking about the world government, John said, well, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, spake like the dragon, spake like the dragon. 
which is Satan. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And he causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. And he said to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast that they should be killed. It's an ominous prophecy and we'll talk about it more. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith. In the hearts of Christians around the world, we will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. Okay, so we're going to get back off into this world religion in just a moment. I got a quick announcement. I'm going to be in Houston, Texas this weekend. Uh, We will be at the Bethel Tabernacle, 1020 FM, 1960 East um, in Houston. And on Saturday evening, 6 to 8 p.m., this is July 24. I'll be doing the big timeline, the future according to Bible prophecy. I'll take you from where we're at now all the way into eternity, past the millennial reign, past the great white throne of judgment, into eternity. And then on Sunday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'll be doing the breaking prophetic fulfillments. You, you really want to hear that. It's part one and two, Saturday night, part one, Sunday morning, part two of this prophecy conference in Houston. And so I look forward to seeing many of you down there. We've been having great conferences uh, with lots of visitors. It's been awesome. And so 
I was already in Houston once this year on one side of Houston. Now I'm going to be on the other side. And Houston is a giant place if you've ever been there. So looking forward to seeing you again in Houston at the Bethel Tabernacle, 1020 FM, 1960 East. My father-in-law was there many times and they've asked us to come back. It's the Foss's Church and uh, that's a wonderful family and you will really enjoy the conference um, this weekend. So God bless you all and I look forward to seeing you down there. Now, from this set of scriptures in Revelation uh, 13, 11 through 15, we learn many things about the end time world religion. Number one, in verse 11, it says, and this beast had two horns like a lamb, but he spake like a dragon. So when we, when we read about the lamb in the scriptures, obviously most of us think of Jesus Christ, you know, um, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So you think of the lamb, you think of Jesus. However, this beast, this world religious figure He's going to have, he's going to look like a lamb, but he's going to speak like a dragon. If you follow scriptures in Revelation 12, 9, you remember the dragon is Satan. So the second beast is going to resemble Jesus or a religious figure, but he's going to speak like the devil, a message of deception. And he's going to deceive most of the world. The leader of this world religious system, the false prophet, is going to be the most recognized religious leader on the planet. The second thing we learn in verse 12 says that, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, the world religion and the Antichrist. He's going to be in alliance with him, and he's going to cause the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast. So that's the goal. The false prophet's ulterior motive will be to use his global influence to unite the religions of the world and to cause them to worship or in, to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist or his world governing system. And then the third thing we learn in verse 15, it really divulges the extreme measures that the false prophet is willing to go to to coerce obedience to the Antichrist. And it's actually going to be persecution and eventual death. Yes, there will be religious leaders that resort to that in the future. If they have in the past, they're going to do it again in the future. And this political and religious persecution will occur during the final three and one half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this is the time um, period that is known as the Great Tribulation. So... As a, in light of all that, we know there's a world religious system coming and that they're going to want to say that, hey, there's a, it's just tolerance and, you know, everybody can make it. Don't try to proselytize. Don't try to win people into the kingdom of God uh, that, and say, hey, you can only go to heaven through Jesus. We don't want to say that in this interfaith movement. So let me show you what I'm talking about. In the Times of Israel, they ran an article, I think it was in one of their blogs or something, that said Pope Francis restricts, I think this was an actual article, Pope Francis restricts the Latin mass that calls for the conversion of Jews. Now, I'm quoting, they say that this was a decision that walks back an earlier decree by Pope Benedict XVI. So, Pope Francis has restricted the use of the Latin Mass, a form of the liturgy favored by traditionalist Catholics that calls for the conversion of Jews. 
and that until 2008 included a reference to the Jewish blindness. The Bible says that Israel has been blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's scripture. Well, Francis's declaration is a repudiation of an earlier decree by Benedict XVI, who in 2007 made it easier to use the Latin mass. And at the time of that declaration, Jewish groups expressed concern because the Latin mass recited on Good Friday included a prayer for Jews. It included a prayer for Jews that called for their conversion to Christianity. And it referred to the Jewish, the Jews blindness. Jewish groups were worried at the time that Benedict's decision signified a, a, a retreat from the Second Vatican Council or Vatican II. Well, Pope Francis said that he was restricting the use of that Latin Mass out of, out of the concern that those who favored it also rejected Vatican II. And I'm going to explain Vatican II here in just a moment. This was according to the Associated Press. So... In the article, and I'm quoting from this, Vatican II made a a number of sweeping changes to the Catholic ritual and practice. A faction of Catholics who split from the church over Vatican II had continued to recite the Latin Mass before Pope Benedict's declaration. Well, now, in order to use the Latin Mass, priests have to get permission from their local bishops and who must also make sure that those using the Latin Mass except Vatican II. So the Latin Mass was saying, hey, that we need to pray for the Jews and they need to convert to Christianity in order to be saved. But Pope Francis doesn't like that because he's pro-Vatican II, which says, hey, we need to pretty much have the church's dialogue with all religions, opening, opening salvation to all, right? And so... He was saying, we don't want to say that the Jews need to be converted. He was wanting to go away from that. So he didn't want to do the Latin Mass. And so they actually said that a lot of people in the Catholic Church moved away from that because they saw as Jews needing to convert. Jesus did tell Nicodemus, who was a religious Jew, that Nicodemus, you've got to be born again to enter uh, or even see the kingdom of God. So... Jews, Muslims, Catholics, uh, I mean, every, any, everybody on the planet needs to be born again to enter heaven through Jesus Christ. That's how it is. It's regardless of who it is. Jesus said, everybody, he said, marvel not, I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so... That's the plan of salvation Jesus Christ purchased on Calvary. The born again plan of salvation. It's for Jews and it's for everybody else on the planet as well. But if you're trying to establish an interfaith movement, then you can't say, well, you need to convert to my way or you need to convert to my way or this other religion needs to convert to my way. You've got to be able to push biblical doctrines aside and say, come one, come all, right? to be a part of this interfaith movement. Well, that's what's going on here. And the Bible says that this is what's going to happen just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So you say, well, what was uh, Vatican II? Well, Vatican II was really a call to unite because really prior to Vatican II, 
the Catholic Church pretty much seen everybody that it was not Catholic as hellbound, right? But after Vatican II, things changed dramatically. And after Vatican Council II, the, the Catholic Church issued two documents that called for a new era of interfaith and ecumenical relations. And that call is very much alive today. Pope Francis is a, he, he's actually made the statement, I am Vatican II. I mean, he's all into interfaith movements and ecumenical movements. Um, in essence, the church no longer saw itself in opposition to other faiths. The goal was to seek a common ground between the Catholic church and other Christian denominations. I mean, every religion. And the first document, Unitatis Red Gratio, that was the decree on ecumenism. 1964, it issued a call for the unity of all the Christian churches that had broke away from the Reformation on. You understand, at the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door in Wittenberg, Germany. Churches started breaking off of, there was a hemorrhage from the Catholic Church. You had the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the Methodists, Nazarene. I mean, everybody down through time, they would see a little bit more light and they would move off and they would start this movement. And then they would get a little bit more of a revelation of the Word of God and then they would move off and some would stay. And that's how everybody separated all the way down through here. Well, the Catholic Church is saying, no, we need to gather everybody back together under one umbrella belief system. That was the Unitatis Red Ingratio de- decree. Then there, the second decree was the um, Nostra Etate, the declaration on the relation of the church to non-Christian religions. That was 1965. Uh, Vatican II was 1962 through 65. So these are the, these are the results of that. And for the first time, it, the Catholic Church encouraged interreligious dialogue. And as I've stated before, this is an effort by the Catholic Church to unite every religious entity, both Christian and non-Christians. But the question is why? Well, they're trying to create an, an, an interfaith movement. It, you, you see all these huge interfaith movements and the Pope and a lot of different people from the Catholic Church and, and every religion's there. It's not just the Catholic Church. Every religion's there. So the goal really isn't to bring Protestants and and those of other religions to salvation, right? That's not the goal of it. We know that because the church is declaring that these people are already saved. Let me give you an uh, example. The New Catholic Catechism issued in 1994, it states that the Muslims are saved already. It says the church's relationship with the Muslims... The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place, amongst whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge, on the last day. However, Muslims deny that Jesus was God or that he died on the cross. So you're talking about you're talking about moving major doctrinal beliefs. And just putting them in the trash can here. Right? Because the fact that Jesus Christ is, is our Savior, is God, and that He died on the cross, that's the essence of the Christian belief system. That's the born-again plan of salvation. Uh, the gospel, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Now, I've got to obey that by being born again. So, but 
just remember that the global leaders, there are, there's an effort to establish a world religion in Revelation 13 and an effort to establish a world, uh, a world government and a world religion. So the global leaders see that the unification of all the religions of the world, they see this as a solution to all the global religious conflicts. And they also are trying to create a world government. And they need to get the religions on board because in times of crisis, they do not want the religions looking to their separate deities, whoever they would call on in the time of crisis. They want them looking to the world government. That's the goal of all of this. The Antichrist will demand obeisance to him and a pledge of allegiance. So at this point, these conflicting doctrines, I mean, huge Differences. I mean, like the Grand Canyon difference in some of these doctrines. Was Jesus God? Was he, did he die on the cross? They are seen as stumbling blocks. And these belief systems, not just biblical doctrines, just belief, to, belief systems, period. They're seen as a stumbling block to the ultimate goal of a world government. Not the, 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 Interfaithism, the world religious system, is only being used to advocate for the the ultimate goal of world government. And so, hence the quest for unity by the Catholic Church that is still being promoted today. The Catholic Church is one of the principal drivers of this quest for unity or this quest for um, interfaithism and different things today. They're at all of the meetings. The, the Parliament of World's Religions that will be held in, uh, I think it's September or October this year. They will have representatives there. So the Pope Francis's quest for unity, he say, I, I didn't even know about all of this stuff. Well, let me give you a little bit of history to make sure that you understand what's going on. While serving back as um, Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio in Argentina... Pope Francis actually sought to promote both interfaithism and ecumenism by forging relationships between Muslims, Jews, and Anglicans. And during that time, he endorsed the um, what later became known as, to some as the Argentine model. And you wonder why he was elected Pope, right? If he was for all of this. And, but the Argentine model was based on interreligious dialogue on friendships rather than theological agreement. So you got you, because to say everybody can be saved, you're having to push a lot of stuff off into the trash can. So this um, interfaith dialogue, this friendship rather than theological agreement, it's the same belief system that Pope Francis is now attempting to implement on a global scale. And the Bible says that this is the kind of thought, the ideology among the major religions of the world that will be in place at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Does the book of Revelation frighten you? Do its symbols confuse you? For centuries, the book of Revelation has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. In Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, volume one. Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. This 10-part definitive DVD series and 268-page comprehensive commentary book covers the first 12 chapters of the book of Revelation. 
featuring on-location photography, classic artwork, and symbolic illustrations, you'll walk away with complete understanding and peace about the events happening during the final years on Earth. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding as you dig into the original intent of the book, answering the mysterious prophecies and symbols of the book of Revelation. Don't miss this special offer. Call now, 1-800-END-TIME, or go to endtime.com to order. Call or go online now to get this comprehensive Bible study. Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at End Time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. So... You can see how that Vatican II was simply a a, a huge, like a a 180 for the Catholic Church in saying, hey, rather than everybody else besides us being hellbound, now we're going to have open dialogue and start moving in a whole other direction here, right? So the Christian Post, they ran an article that I have not seen. I wanted to go over it with you. Back in January, I found this. And it said that Pope Francis has says that there are no concession to those who deny Vatican II teachings. Now, listen at how strong these quotes are. Pope Francis, on July 30, urged those charged with passing on the principles of the Catholic faith. So he's saying everybody that's, you know, uh, that is, considers themselves a Catholic and that, you know, that those that are passing on the principles of the Catholic faith... They need to consider the teachings of the Second Vatican Council as sacrosanct or treat it as if holy or immune to criticism. He said that they, um, that they are to be uh, Catholic one, that and if they're to be Catholic, one must adhere to the reforms brought about by the landmark event, Vatican II. So in a meeting with a group of catechists connected to the Italian bishops conference, The Pope said this, and I'm quoting. He said, you can be with the church and therefore follow the council on interfaithism or ecumenism. I put that in there because that's what the council was about. Or you cannot follow the council or you can interpret it in your own way as you want. But if you do that, you are not with the church. Okay, now that's a strong statement. You're either with interfaithism, you're either with us or you're a Guinness. You, if you was to live down in the South, they would say a Guinness. Well, the, I'm quoting again. This is another quote. Pope Francis said that the council, Vatican II, is the magisterium or the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. And he said that on this point, we must be demanding and severe. The council cannot, the Vatican II cannot be negotiated. He said, 
please, no concession to those who seek to present a catechesis that does not accord with the magisterium of the church. So you see this huge move towards interfaithism and ecumenism today. They're establishing a world religious system. The Bible says this is exactly what's going to happen prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this gets very detailed, very deep. It's been going on for decades. And we're really at the culmination of this, folks. And so we need to understand what's going on. World religion in the end time, 2,000-year-old prophecy. We're watching it being established as we speak. Now, let me shift gears and I'm going to jump to another topic. I may have to do a part two tomorrow. I don't know because I've got so much information to go over and I want to make sure you guys get it all. In, you understand the Bible teaches that um, there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. Second Timothy 4, verse 3 through 4. He said that for the time will come when they will not, the people will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And believe me, from where I sit, I'm seeing this happening all the time. And I'm telling you that I, I am. I'm not going to beg you because I'm not into begging, but I'm, I'm just imploring you. Know your Bible. And if it says it in the Bible, let's stand with that, folks, because I want to go to heaven and I want you to go to heaven. And the way to do that is to align my life up with what the Bible teaches. Okay. The Bible says there's coming time when people, they don't want to hear, they won't listen to sound doctrine. They don't want to hear that. They're going to they're going to listen to people that will just tickle their ears and make them feel good. And but the thing is, there's coming a day when we will all stare the Lord right in the face and we're going to have to give an account to everything we did on this earth. And so I don't want to stand before the Lord someday and say, well, yeah, I saw it in the Bible, but I just really didn't want to do that. Folks, this is very serious here. We need to make sure that we align ourselves to the Bible. Know what the Bible says. Know how the Bible teaches you how to live. So that way you can make it. And so the Bible says there's going to come people that won't pay any attention to doctrine. And they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. Okay. Luke 17, 29 through 30. The Bible says, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So there's coming a time when the Bible says that there is going to be an, an increase in the LGBTQ agenda. It's going to be like it was in the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah when it got so bad that God had to come and judge that entity. Okay? Well, it's getting pretty bad now. There are people are doing things. It's unbelievable. I told you the other day about people that are um, the the individual who is on the 
sports, the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue is a male. It's a transgender. It's a male that thinks he's a female. And he's on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. So, yeah, it's getting pretty bad. I mean, where have we come to the point where we would celebrate that? So, we need to say, what, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Because there's people that can read this and say, well, I know it says that, but it really doesn't mean that. That's 2,000 to 2,500 year old stuff. And, you know, it was for them. It's not for us. Well, that's not a true statement. In the Old Testament, the Bible says, if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So Leviticus 20, 13. But in the New Testament, uh, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving themselves that recompense of their error which is meat, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they pushed God out of their belief system at all. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That's Romans 1, 26 through 28. Now, there are several other scriptures, but I think you get the point here. God does not like, does not approve of in any way, shape or form those relationships at all. In the beginning, God's, the Bible says God created male and female, and he told them to unite, get married, and go populate the earth. And that's God's approved way. God is happy with that relationship. Male and a female, you guys get married and go have families, and here we go. And that's what populates the earth. That's God's method. But Satan's been trying to pollute that ever since. So, is this happening in society today? Well, the, Cru the Christian Post published an article. Two Georgia churches leave the United Methodist Church over their LGBTQ stance, and they announce a merger. So, two congregations in Georgia have left the United Methodist Church over the denomination's opposition to homosexuality. Now, let me stop right there. They left the United Methodist Church over the denomination's opposition to homosexuality and they're going to merge into one church. The United Methodist Church was against ordaining open homosexuals in their pulpits and things like that. They voted against that. And these two big churches in Georgia said, well, if you're going to do that, then we're out of here because they were for that. They didn't believe the United Methodist Church was progressive enough. The Ashbury Memorial Church and the Wesley Oak Church, both based in Savannah, recently voted to disaffiliate from the UMC, South Georgia Conference, Ashbury, uh, which averaged 287 attendees in weekly worship, and they finalized their process of disaffiliation last fall. And the Wesley Oak Church, they finalized their disaffiliation earlier this month. 
And the pastor, he told the Christian Post on Monday that the decision to leave came after the 29th special session of the UMC General Conference. Delegates at that special session voted to reaffirm the theologically conservative stance of the United Methodist Church regarding homosexuality. They were against it. Rejecting a, they rejected a compromise proposal that would have allowed more regional variants. The pastor of one of the churches said it became clear after this event that the denomination, the UMC, was not heading in the direction that we had hoped. They wanted it to be more favorable for that. And the UMC said no. So for decades, though, the United Methodist Church has debated its stance on LGBTQ issues as the mainline Protestant denomination officially labels homosexuality incompatible with Christian teaching. Well, I think that's a true statement. I just read you two scriptures out of many where it is incompatible with Christian teaching. And that they bar non-celibate homosexuals from being ordained and prohibits the blessing of same-sex sex marriage. That would be a... a uh, now, hold on. That said prohibits non-celibate homosexuals. Okay, scratching my head on that one. But it prohibits the blessing of same-sex marriage. I would agree with that one. But after failed efforts to reach a compromise between theological liberals and conservatives within the UMC, many congregations have decided to leave the the denomination. These include conservative churches who dislike the open defiance to UMC rules by many liberal leaders and progressive churches who do not believe the denomination will ever change its official position. So you've got people that do not like sound doctrine. They've seen what it says in scripture and they say, hey, our big church affiliation, they're not progressive enough. They're not going in the direction we want. So they peeled off and said, we're going to do our own thing even though the Bible is very clear on this subject, everybody. So I wanted to bring it before you today because the Bible says, as it was in the days of Lot, that's how it's going to be in the time of the coming of the Son of Man. People will not endure sound doctrine, even though it says it right there in the Bible. People are going to move off of it. And that is an extremely dangerous position to be in. And so we want to make sure that We're in good Bible studies. We're in good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches that will teach every scripture in the Bible, not leave anything out. And Because I want to go to heaven. I know you want to go to heaven. And so that's why I have aligned myself with good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches all over the United States and around the world. Because I want to send people to churches that I know will teach the truth, especially in the end time. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever, it is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, 
we opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 11.33. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. Wow. I mean, are we in the end time or what? We're way off into this thing, everybody. We've got to make sure we're adhering to the Bible. That's going to be our ticket out of here. And so I want to be very diligent in that, make sure I know what the Word of God says. And when I see something in the Word of God, if my life doesn't align up to that, I've got to ask myself the question, you know, Dave, now you've got a decision to make. Do you want to change your life to adhere to what the Bible says? Or do I want to say, well, I know it says that in there, but I just don't really agree with that. I'm going to move on. Okay? Because you can do whatever you want. Everybody has free will. But there's coming a time when we're all going to give an account. A lot of people don't think that. Well, I'm, you know, that, that it's almost a mockery. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm just having fun while I'm on the earth. And then, you know, hell is going to be a big party. No, hell's not going to be a party. Hell is going to be a very bad place for a very long time. And so I've got to get things right while I've got a chance. Now's my chance. I'm alive. I'm breathing. My heart is being beating. I've got a chance and I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to get in a church that's teaching the truth that, that is, that I wants to take me to heaven. And I'm going to, I'm going to super glue myself to that place. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that I make it, that I'm settled this stuff way before I ever stand before God on the judgment day or that it comes time for him to judge us at the rapture. I mean, I'm going to make sure I know what's happening before that. And I've made my calling and election sure. Because the thing is, everybody, none of us are promised tomorrow. We've got to make sure that we've got this thing ready and that I'm everything's settled. And I've got, I've made all of my arrangements have been made prior. You understand? And so um, know your Bible, get in good Bible studies, make sure you know, because there are so many people that are going to try to move you off of that. And there, there's Hollywood and there's, um, there's peer pressure and there's all kinds of things Satan will try to use to move you off of the goal, the straight and narrow path. And if he can move you off of it, he's got you. But I don't want to move off of that path. I got to stay on the path. Keep my head down and just keep trudging. The Bible says, he that endures to the end, the same is going to be saved. That's what we got to do. We got to be born again. And then we got to live as Christians all the way to the end. So let me shift gears and see if I can't go through one more before the end of the program. The uh, Middle East peace agreement. The Bible prophesies that there's going to be a peace agreement between the Israelis, Palestinians, and the, the prophecies always come to pass. Every single one of the prophecies in the Bible will come to pass if they haven't already. We don't know exactly when the peace agreement will happen, but we do know that when it is signed, it will mark the beginning 
of the final seven years to the battle of Armageddon and the physical return of Jesus Christ to this earth. We also don't know who is going to be the Antichrist or the the one that will end up negotiating the peace agreement and getting it across the finish line. The Antichrist will be involved in that. At this point, I cannot answer that question. However, we need to be able to recognize the agreement when it happens, right? And we've got to be able to answer many questions. I'm going to answer one. What's the agreement going to look like? Well, one of the clues, there are many, for the sake of time, I'm going to do one. The Bible says that the temple mount will be shared. Now, if you talked about sharing the temple mount today and Israel went up there and started Mark laying out for the foundation of the third temple, we would be in a war before the afternoon was over. <laughs> because they almost go to war when the Jew goes up there and prays. Now, there are more Jews going up there and praying, but uh, the, the, the Palestinians do not like it. I mean, they just start throwing rocks and it's crazy. But the, the, the Bible says that the temple mount will be shared in the future. Revelation 11, 1 and 2. It explicitly states the temple mount will be uh, under a sharing arrangement during the final seven years. Uh, and that's going to place the, the uh, part of the temple mount under Jewish control. So they can pray on that area to, and consider the holy place on the earth the, the, for, the, for the Jews And even President Bill Clinton, he proposed the sharing of the Temple Mount during the Camp David peace talks between uh, Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat back in 2000. Well, there are many people that have proposed it since. The Times of Israel, they've got an article right now that Tishbav, which is where they, the Jews will um, mourn for the destruction of the first and second temple, well, Tishbav and Islam, Judaism, and, and they say that there's a peaceful way to restore the Jerusalem temple. This is, again, this is in the times of Israel right now. So I'm quoting from the article. They say a few years ago, right-wing nationalist organizations devoted to the Temple Mount were really kind of set back on their heels by a poll that they commissioned that found that 30% of the Israeli Jews supported rebuilding the temple. Just 30% on the site of Solomon's temple. The poll, which was back on July 12, 2013, issued by the Israeli newspaper, the Haaretz, was commissioned by the Joint Forum of Temple Mount Organizations. And it asked the Jews, are you for or against erecting a temple on the Temple Mount? 30% said yes. 45% said no. Because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, of young up and comers now, the new next generation, they don't feel like some of the older generation. So I don't think this thing can just keep going on for years and years and years and years and years. And 25% said they were not sure. So, but the last few years have really seen a changing of attitudes to the Temple Mount among the national religious or the ultra orthodox sectors. And there are currently dozens of fringe movements working to change the status quo of the holy site. Right now, it's under the control of the Muslim Waqf, W-A-Q-F. If you ever go to the Temple Mount and you see somebody with a machine gun, that's an Israeli police or an Israeli soldier. They will not allow um, the Muslim Waqf to have 
machine guns and things like that. So that's where they're throwing rocks and they're doing all this other stuff to wreak havoc. But the, the Israeli police control the um, security up there, but the Muslim waqf are in the control of the facilitation of what goes on on the Temple Mount. So, but there are people working to change that. Some are reconstructing ceremony objects like the Temple Institute that will be used uh, in the temple. And while others are making practical preparations for its rebuilding, including the renewal of animal sacrifices, i.e. the Jews that have the um, ranch and different things that are trying to uh, create a red heifer. Others deal in political lobbying and uh, like a um, Yehuda Glick, people like that. And they're encouraging Jews to visit the Temple Mount. So there's a growing demand gathering political support for the status quo on the Temple Mount to be changed so that Jews will be able to pray there freely, all the Jews. So the police currently are prohibiting Jews from praying on the Temple Mount because they fear an outbreak of violence. So among Zionist religious Jews that were questioned in the survey... 43% supported the construction of a temple compared to 20% non-Zionist ultra-Orthodox and 31% among secular Jews. So the survey further found that among the Israeli Jewish public, there is a strong majority, now 59%, that favors the demand change to the status quo of the Temple Mount. And here's what they say. This is one of the reasons I wanted to quote this. The survey asked whether the state should enforce an agreement on the Temple Mount similar to the one that exists on the Tomb of the Patriarchs down in Hebron, which is a shared arrangement by the Jews and the Muslims. And only 23% responded, said no to that. So many, many people are, the big, vast majority of people in Israel are, would advocate for that, they would support that, and that is a sharing arrangement on the Temple Mount. And so you understand the Tomb of the Patriarchs down in um, Hebron. And that they would, that the Jews are allowed access to that sometime. Then the Arabs are allowed access to it. And they have a sharing arrangement. Well, there are, the majority of the people in the poll said, hey, yeah, we would be for Currently, under the current status quo, no. We would not be for much of this stuff and the efforts up on the Temple Mount. But we would be changing, for changing the status quo and allowing there to be a sharing arrangement up there, like is done at the Tomb of the Patriarchs down in Hebron. And if we could have a sharing arrangement, then we would be for a lot more of this stuff, i.e. praying up there, building the temple, doing a lot of other stuff. So there are people that are today pushing and advocating for the sharing of the Temple Mount without going up there and tearing down the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aqsa Mosque. You say, well, no, the hardliners wouldn't be for that. Well, actually, they would end up going for it. I asked uh, Yehuda Glick. Yehuda Glick is a friend of ours. He's the guy that was shot by the terrorists coming out of a speech. He used to go up and try to uh, do a sacrifice on the temple and he would be banned for the temple and a lot of different things. Well, he'd come out of a speech here a few years ago and was shot right in the chest. The guy come up and said, hey, are you Yehuda Glick? He said, yeah. Boom, he shot him four or five times. Well, he survived that. Well, post him coming out of all that, 
we had him meet our tour group. And we took one of the tours and I said, Yehuda would, in a future peace agreement, if the Temple Mount was shared and you could build your third temple under a future peace agreement, would you be willing to share the Temple Mount and build your temple, your third temple in the courtyard north of the Dome of the Rock? He said, well, he said, Dave, we... We believe that when it comes time that God will make a way for our third synagogue is what he calls it. And that they will, that God will remove the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But he said, I must say that if we were allowed in a future peace agreement to build our third synagogue and the only way to do it was to leave the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, he said, yes. We would be willing to build it in that big, like, I don't know, probably six, eight, ten acre courtyard north of the Dome of the Rock. And so you're talking about a hard liner there. A guy that's, you know, he's been one of the main advocates for it. I mean, he's just brash and bold, believe me. And he actually told me that, yes, we would be willing to do that. Now, you understand what's going on here. There's a 2,000 year old prophecy. Imagine coming to King David and saying, hey, we're going to share the temple mount between you and Goliath. He would have laughed in your face. There's no way we're going to share the temple mount. But John said in the book of Revelation, there's coming a time in the future when they're going to share the temple mount. And they're the majority of the Jews today in this poll that they took would be willing to change the status quo have a sharing arrangement up there like is done down in Hebron to eventually get a temple built. Folks, we're, we're in the end time. I'm not looking for the end time to begin. We're there now. And the younger generation is different than the older, more religious generation. And they're willing to compromise on some things that maybe the older generation wasn't willing to. And so I'm telling you, this is what the Bible says is going to happen. We're living in the end time. These things are playing out right before our very eyes. And it puts a sense of urgency in me. Dave, you got to get yourself ready. You got to get your family ready. And you've got to get your sphere of influence. Everybody that you influence, you've got to make sure they're standing by the word of God. They know what it takes to be saved. They're a member of a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And we've got to prepare ourselves for the soon coming of the Jesus Christ to this earth. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com.